Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to rewatch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? Welcome to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, present and accounted for in regards to the documentation of independent music in the form of an interview, because what is better than a in-depth interview with a person that you may or may not care about, but you definitely care about this whole music scene, this DIY, punk, hardcore, indie rock, whatever it is you label it, that's what I'm trying to cover, because it's a... you know, I was actually reflecting and kind of like looking back on some previous episodes and it's very rare where you could have, you know, uh, hardcore bands existing alongside pop punk bands existing alongside of, you know, uh, podcast hosts, um, singer songwriters. Like I just love the wide brush that I can paint with here and have you along for the journey. So thank you. I appreciate that. And we are continuing our March through the state of North Carolina 
and focused on that particular scene because it's always always engaged me and I've always found a large number of bands that have come out from that scene that have been uh, very important to me and today we've got John Tuttle the bassist of Code 7 which is a often spoken about in certain circles but frankly needs more recognition as far as I'm concerned you know because there's a ton of bands that exist out there that uh, you know have either been profoundly influenced by Code 7 um, or toured with them back in the day with an old band of theirs that they are now creating new music that has been influenced by Code 7. What I am trying to say is Code 7 is incredibly important, and I think you would be doing yourself a disservice if you did not check them out if you hadn't heard of them before or revisited one of their old records if you were like, oh man, that's right, Code 7, really good band. But uh, John Tuttle is the, uh, like I said, the bassist, and he is one of three brothers in the band, which is crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, I, I got familiar with them, you know, uh, maybe about, I don't know, early 2000, early to mid 2000s or whatever, but, uh, got a chance to play a couple shows with them and just great human beings. And I was excited that I was able to hook this up more on that in a moment, but you need to rate review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, whether it's Apple podcast, Stitcher, Wherever it is you consume this thing, please leave a review because it helps percolate the shows to the top of the charts or whatever it is. But basically, there's there's some intrinsic value in you doing that, and it's not going to take you any time at all. You know, even if you're writing a review, that'll probably take you two minutes. So I would appreciate that if you do that. And um, how am I doing? I appreciate you asking. I know that I've been kind of belaboring these points as of late, this, this how are you doing? Because I think it's important. I think it's important to stop and like legitimately want to know how people are doing. And like, whether that's friends, family, cause you know, everybody, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. You know, just moving right along. And sometimes it's obviously not appropriate to push, <laughs> you know, if you're just like acquaintance with the person completely understood, but I care about you in the way that, uh, I've felt you care about me as well. So I'm, I'm just keeping you up to date. My mental health is doing progressively better and I'm really, really happy. So I'm visiting a therapist for a couple of weeks. I went to a psychiatrist last week and I'm taking a low level, uh, anxiety medication. It's called Lexapro. Um, and you know, I mean, I've only been on it for a couple of days, so I don't necessarily feel any different, but, uh, you know, I've been told like around two, three weeks is when you start to feel, you know, that, uh, that, that kick in, whatever that may mean. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to go on this journey just to make sure that, uh, you know, all of the stuff that I'm experiencing in my head, am able to find a place for it, am able to find, you know, peace and calm and, um, you know, all those things that we were searching for. And all of the discussions I've been having with uh, friends, family, people that surround me, I just love the fact that we can talk about these real issues because, um, yeah, I, I don't think that the older you get, the more you want to use your time appropriately and engaging in deep conversations with people. That's why I do this podcast. That's exactly why I do this podcast. So anyways, uh, thank you very much for caring about me. And you can always email the show 100 wordspodcast at gmail.com to discuss anything, whether it's future guests, whether it's, uh, you know, your own mental health, whatever the case may be. Obviously, I am not a licensed or professional person to be able to discuss anything medically with you. But, uh, you know, just just to be there as a, uh, you know, shoulder to uh, lean on and, you know, support or whatever it is that people say, you know, I think shoulder to cry on. But no, you don't you don't need to cry on my shoulder. I can just be in there in solidarity with you. So anyways, uh, John Tuttle, like I said, just a great guest and played in Code 7 unbelievable band and we get into it because they have such an interesting career and they definitely became a band's band where like every band wanted to tour with them and they relentlessly toured for you know a good 
four, five, six years where they were just on the road constantly and uh, always got to see them. They you know, definitely stayed at my house a few times when they came through town and you know played a decent amount of shows with them. And I just always thought they were an unbelievable band. So here is Code 7. Here is John. And I will talk to you, of course, after the episode is over. Viva La North Carolina. You passed out cold on the deep water's edge. You must have bumped your head. And I want to say that, uh, so I was working at Century Media in the early 2000s, and I want to say that was where I first discovered like Division of Labor. And I can't remember if it was either something that was just kind of like in the office or someone mentioned it to me. But yeah. uh, I, I was always excited when I heard bands that were like similar-ish to Taken because, you know, whatever, melodic hardcore wasn't exactly like played by everybody, you know? Right, yeah. No, it wasn't. <laughs> so I was always like, oh man, like there's another, there's a kindred spirit out there. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And then, um, you know, from that point on, I was, you know, obsessed with you guys and, uh, you know, really found not only the music compelling, but the fact that you guys had this really weird thing going on where you had, you know, two vocalists because right. no one did that really. And right. to, to me, just as a listener, uh, it seemed like a nightmare to put together, like <laughs> in regards to like, oh yeah, yeah, like, you know, here's a, you know, the singing part and here's the screaming part or whatever. And then like the right. layering you did on it. Um, what, and this may be just like a, a super simple question, but <laughs> was was that difficult to like kind of figure out how that should all kind of like stack up together? Um, or did it kind of come just sort of naturally as you guys worked on that stuff? Um, yeah, we planned a lot of that stuff in advance um, for sure. Um, a lot of the stuff on that record, the uh, in-between parts, especially like, um, we recorded that with Kurt Ballou at God City and we, I, I think he didn't want to like, I think there's a lot of interludes or stuff that's kind of chopped and pasted together type thing that I don't, I'm not, I think we did that in mastering, um, some of those samples and stuff that we did. Um, but yeah, it, we definitely, uh, that was the first record where it was like, um, we really wanted to go in and have it all figured out like, uh, to, you know what I mean? Like more than just like, okay, there's a song, but we wanted to go like over the top, you know, overdubs and, uh, mm-hmm. kind of go, go crazy with experimentation and whatnot. Um, but we kind of knew going in cause we didn't have a lot of time to do that record. Um, but, uh, we planned it way, way in advance before going up there. So we, it, you know, it's pretty well planned out. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I, I guess the, I, the, a simpler way of, of asking that is just the idea of like, I, I presumed that you guys obviously had that stuff, you know, worked out heading into the studio. But like, like I said, it just seems, um, you know, it, it, it an, an additional layer of, uh, you know, complication in regards to like you were talking about just the, you know, editing process of it and being like, okay, this, this part is going to cut off and lead into, you know, right. our other vocalists part. It just seemed like a lot of work. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Vocally, like, um, I can't say too much about that. Like I, I stayed completely out of that process. Sure. Um, so like how they mashed it all together and whatnot, like 
Um, I'm not exactly sure, to yeah. be honest with you, or how they broke those parts up between each other. Even I, I don't really know for sure. Yeah. Um, musically, though, um, I can talk about and uh, yeah, it was it was it was pretty over the top. Uh, I, I remember being in the studio, and this was it was recorded on two inch tape, mm-hmm. and you know, there's like you know, two, three band members, Kurt, and everyone's trying to move faders down and mute stuff and move stuff up all while it's going to uh, the final mix, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was pretty intense. Um, nowadays, I guess, with Pro Tools, you don't have to do stuff like that. But I remember all of us kind of being on the board trying to make these m- crazy moves and to create these uh, transitions and whatnot. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. No, totally. And I, I think it, that's what really came across to me uh, was just the fact that <laughs> it definitely didn't feel like, uh, you know, your average bands kind of like, oh, yeah, like, you know, here, like we're, we're putting on a record. And yeah, of course, we put some thought into it. Like this definitely seemed, you know, really yeah. an intense process, as it were. Yeah, no, it, it definitely was. That was the first time where we I feel like we were like, let's let's take this seriously. You know what I mean? Before it was kind of like uh, uh can we do this? Like, uh, you know, just going through the recording process and just kind of goofing off and having fun. And mm-hmm. that was the first record where it's like, all right, you know, let's really try to try to stand above and like push things a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and two, where it's like the, you know, the fact that it was an EP and, uh, you know, I mean, I think it clocks in, I don't know, probably around 30 minutes or so, maybe it's a little long. Bit. Yeah. Right. And that's an what EP. I, Right. And that's what I was going to say too, where it's like, you know, most, most people view EPs as like, you know, whatever gap, stop fillers between full lengths or what have you. But this felt the real substantial from that perspective too. Right. And that, the big reason for that was, um, uh, the record before that it came out when it came out, like it had been done for a really, a pretty good while over a year, probably. Um, maybe even longer than that because we were the, the record before that's where we started, you know, talking to labels and stuff. Um, and we got into negotiations with, uh, Eric records, which went forever. Um, and then we ended up deciding not to do that. Um, and then the guy that was running the U S part of Eric started his label. And then, so there's this whole transition, but like we funded the, uh, what people consider our first record. There was technically one before, uh, but a lot of those songs were written, you know, in the mid nineties and kind of, uh, uh, we were so over those songs. By the time they actually came out, we were we were such a different band, yeah. uh, and, and you know, and we were we didn't even really want to put it out, but because it took so long for that to finally come out. So like, by the time that record came out, we were probably well into writing uh, a lot of the division stuff, and uh, and yeah, that's that's why it was so long because we we had been building up a lot of stuff and um, for quite a while. Right. Even though the t- I think I'm not sure what what it says online Spotify, the release dates for between the, the first record and division. But, uh, I know they look really close. Um, but yeah, they were really far apart and we were just, we were so ready to, to put out something new, even though that first record was technically new. Right. Well, yeah. And to your point, you guys were a completely different band. Like this was, yeah. you know, as far as like the vision of what you wanted to do, it was like, okay, yeah, we'll put this thing out. But like that isn't really us anymore. So <laughs> let's try let's, right. let's rush this next thing out. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. When the first records and stuff, like half the band was in high school. I think Matt was probably in like ninth grade or 10th grade. And next thing you know, like we're getting, 
a record contract, six records with Earache Records, and half the band is still in high school and a couple years away from even graduating. And that, that kind of really threw us for a loop because we weren't expecting to get, well, we weren't expecting anything. We had no plans. We just wanted to, uh, you know, just get together and uh, write and play music. But it was all for fun and, and whatnot. And that kind of threw everything in a whirlwind. And uh, it was a, it was a little too much. Like I don't, we were kind of, we were pretty scared of the idea of being uh, on a big record label because we, we were metalheads growing up. I've got Earache Records. You know, I know all about them. And uh, uh, yeah, that really threw us for a loop. And we were, yeah, half the band was really young when we started. So I think Division was when everyone was out now out of high school at that point. And um, yeah, it was like uh, okay, let's let's get serious about this now. You know, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and, and we'll circle back to that, but I, I kind of wanted to focus on, you know, you and, and your upbringing within, uh, I presume, were you born in, you and your brother born in North Carolina? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I imagine that the, most people, I mean, at that time, you know, it's not like, you know, punk hardcore metal had like completely infiltrated that area. Like there was a general awareness, but like, right. you know, yeah. what, um, you know, I guess, how did you get kind of exposed to that independent style of music? Yeah. Um, let's see. Like, uh, like we were, well, three, three of the members of the band are all brothers. Me, James are twins. And then Matt is a little brother who's three years younger. He's the drummer. Um, and, uh, we were growing up, we were straight metal. Like, you know, it started in the eighties with like glam and it was always kind of a quest to find, uh, uh, the next heavy, it was always heavier. You know what I mean? Like, uh, we were always anything that we could find that would seem more progressive or heavier and the hard rock stuff that was all, you know, this is before internet, obviously. So, um, that, so it was the really aggressive music, uh, is, you know, once you find thrash and you get MTV and it's like, Oh, there's an anthrax video or whatever. Uh, so that was kind of our headspace. We weren't really into the, uh, we didn't know much about any of the punk stuff growing up um, at all. Um, and then, you know, in high school, we were still like, it was like, we, you know, Dream Theater and uh, Carcass, and that's what we were still listening to even in high school. And uh, I think in 11th grade, we went and took a class for music production, and it's where all the schools within the city would come together. And that's where I first uh, met some kids who were who already had bands, um, you know, and they were playing shows and they were making their own shirts. And, uh, I had no idea you could even do that. You know, yeah. you know, my, my mentality was like, Oh, you just wait for a record label to offer you a contract or something <laughs> like, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Totally, totally. Um, and these kids, like I, you know, meeting some of the kids from the other schools who were, who were uh, a lot more punk rock stuff going on in those other schools. And, you know, they already had bands, uh, the big, the venue, uh, here that they were playing shows at, uh, they had recordings. I'm like, wait a second. Like, is this possible? Right. You can do uh, this. It, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it was, it was huge, uh, mind expanding. And, uh, yeah, so that's when I started learning about that there is a local scene. Uh, it wasn't really heavy though, and that's what we really liked. Uh-huh. It was in uh, in Winston. It was really just like punk, sure. Um, maybe a little pop, uh, a little crust, but mainly just like just regular straight ahead punk. Which I, you know, I wasn't really all that into, but I loved. Uh, 
I love seeing like the, the DIY thing and like seeing everyone just, you know, Oh, we'll book the shows ourselves. We'll bring the PA, you know, uh, we don't need, it doesn't have to be uh, fancy or whatever, you know? Yeah. And that, that was where, where it was like, Oh, okay. Okay. And that's where you, we start learning about, uh, uh, probably, you know, quicksand. Um, uh, and then eventually, uh, you know, the victory record stuff like, uh, Earth Crisis and Snapcase, and that's where everything really changed for us. Sure, sure. It was full steam ahead after that. Right, right. And I imagine, I mean, it is not, your guys' experience is not common in regards to the fact that, you know, three-fifths of the band is siblings. Like, that's just, that's weird, because normally, you know, know. yeah, maybe you're going to get, like, you know, whatever, uh, you know, uh, two brothers playing in a band, but, um, so I'm going to guess, too, that a lot of the influence that you guys were um, you know, kind of like learning from one another where it's like, you know, whatever you would, def- you would find a band and you'd show your brothers or your, one of your brothers would find a band and show it to you guys. Like, were you all kind of like ping ponging off each other with that? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was, um, it music discovery, like, cause we, we kind of hit a wall with, with, uh, with metal anyway. Cause I felt like extreme, I felt like we there was nobody was doing anything more extreme or progressive and everything started to sound the same. Uh, so when finding like the hardcore world, uh, that just like, it was like this refreshing, you know, everything, it was like, Oh, everything sounded new and fresh. Everything looked different. And, and everything in metal had gotten so stale. It seemed like everyone was just doing the same thing, a different version of the same thing. And we were way burnt out on it. So when discovering the hardcore stuff, like it was just like, so, so fresh. Uh, it's exactly what we needed. Um, and that's what just, and it was one thing after the next, like, uh, you know, looking at the, uh, thanks, thank you list in the, uh, uh, the records and whatnot, you know, and that's how we would find a lot of stuff. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, and how were your parents kind of reacting to this stuff? Like, you know, were they just like, oh my gosh, like all, all of them are into this really weird stuff we don't understand. Um, you know, especially I'm sure as you guys started to, you know, like dive into playing shows and do all this stuff that was, you know, unconventional in their eyes, like how, uh, you know, how did they, uh, I guess, kind of cope with that or how did they kind of treat you guys as you were getting into this weird subculture stuff? Yeah. Um, no, I mean they were they were pretty open to it. Um, uh, my or our most of the band uh, grandparents like they had uh, they were in like a gospel band and stuff, and then they would they would go around and do shows every weekend, and they would play churches and um, and we as kids like as far back as I can remember, like on Sundays you would jump in the van. They had a van. You'd load up a PA and load up all the gear and we would help them load and unload. They would do their show. And then, you know, they would, they never left, you know, the region. You could always drive and get back the next day. There was never any overnight stays or anything, but like as far back as I, as we can remember, like we're going to these shows, not necessarily something I would want to listen to, but the process and everything was there since we were babies. And so, and you know, we would go over to their house and there's PAs and keyboards and guitars and music stuff everywhere. So having that carry over into our house was, uh, it was not weird at all. Cause my, I guess my mom grew up with that. Um, and they were there, her seeing her mom always playing and, you know, um, you know, so it wasn't that weird of a thing, I don't think, for them. Uh, and our house was the practice house too, um, so everything happened. We were making crazy noises, getting the cops called every couple of weeks. 
Um, but yeah, they didn't, they were, they were pretty supportive. They didn't, they didn't really care. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, it's, I, I like that central concept too of the, you know, the gathering place, like, you know, every, you know, teenage band, uh, that's fortunate enough to have that experience of, you know, whatever, one of the band members being like, Oh yeah, like we're practicing at my place and my parents are cool with us making noise from like 12 to four on a Saturday. And like the parents are happy because, you know, all their kids are under their roof, under their supervision, you know, they can bring them, you know, string cheese for, you know, snacks and stuff, you know, like that, Yeah, just that protective nature can kind of be intact, even though they may be doing something that is not, um, you know, conventional from that perspective. Yeah, no, I mean, they never really complain, even having, I mean, we had the cops called in so many times, but <laughs> they never really, uh, there were some neighbors who really Did just hated. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, cause there was a ton of kids that would come over and hang out and, you know, get rowdy a little bit you know skateboarding everywhere but uh, they didn't like it but uh uh but for the most part they handle it pretty well they to be honest with you they they may uh have handled it better than uh than i would personally because like (laughs) yeah you know um i i don't know i have a 15 year old now and he's really into playing and stuff so i may be getting a taste of that coming up pretty soon (laughs) as well but um yeah so they were they they handled it really like they were champs. Yeah. I, I just, I really like the idea of, uh, you know, the call coming into the, to the precinct and it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, we got to go to the, t- the tunnel house again. Yeah. 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 No, <laughs> it, it, it was very much like that. And they, and they were like, look, you guys sound pretty good. Uh, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We're sitting here. It's like June and you're like, where has the time gone? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. I got to like accomplish all these other things. Take a moment. Focus on the things that obviously for one matter to you, but for two, look back, be like, what have I done? Well, what have I done? Not so well. And maybe I can, you know, ask some friends and family for some help, but where I have always gone to in regards to figuring out what I can do better therapy, therapy is an incredible tool at your arsenal that you can dip into. I've done it for my marriage. I've done it for myself personally. And I'm a huge advocate for what therapy can do for you because it is a third party that's able to look at what you can do to improve your life and be a person to help you along in your journey. And so I think if you were thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and entirely suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then boom, you're done. It's great. And then if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch it at no additional cost. So take a moment, reflect on the things you've done, reflect on the things you want to do, and visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash Ray. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. 
Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Uh, you know, that's so cool. Um, they were always pretty cool about it. It's like, yeah, they're kind of crappy neighbors, I guess, but yeah, just turn it down or whatever, right. you know. Yeah, you guys, you guys yeah. at an eight, can you please go down to like a six and then I think we'll be okay for the day, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, they knew it was a waste of time and, and they thought it was it was a pretty positive thing, I think, just to see a bunch of kids uh trying to do something, you know, together that wasn't, you know destructive violent or yeah 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 no true that's a very good point i mean like when you identify you know kids being passionate about something and being like creative whatever that may mean um as long as it you know like you said it's not harming someone it's just like oh yeah kids you know messing around with music in a basement like that that's cool that's pure oh man halloween is almost here have you gotten your cool band merch yet because, you know, let's be honest, sometimes you reach a certain age where you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to dress up, but like, you know, I want something spooky. Rockabilia is the best place to find your spooky-ish band merch, whether that's Misfits, Ghost, you know, Iron Maid, whatever it is you're into, they have the officially licensed stuff. And use this code, PC100Words, that's the number 100, and it gets you 15% off of your order. That way, you are geared up for the Halloween holiday and, frankly, the actual holidays like Christmas gifts that's right around the corner. So you need to start thinking about that. And what I love about the company independently owned, great people, fast shipping, amazing customer service, like top to bottom, they know what they're doing and they've been in business for gosh, I want to say like 20, 30 years and it's officially licensed stuff. So the band gets paid on every single piece of merch that's sold. And plus they got everything you could possibly want from beanies to long sleeves, to hoodies, to posters, to, I'm fairly certain they have like uh, scarves and like neckerchiefs. <laughs> I don't know about neckerchiefs. That's maybe a stretch, but regardless, Rockabilia is the place to go for all of your band merch. I love them and I love the company so much. So PC 100 words is the code 15% off. Do it up right now and uh, you'll just be, you'll, you'll just be that much cooler. Okay. Now on with the show. You and your, your brothers, like, you know, when, once I started to get to know you guys and like we played some shows together and stuff like that, you guys always struck me, um, you know, as very, you know, quiet and reserved. Um, and I don't mean that in like a wallflower, you're not friendly sort of way, <laughs> but like yeah, yeah. The, the sort of people that, 
you know, don't suck the air out of rooms when you walk into them because it's like, Oh great. Here's the, here's the Tuttle brothers again. Like let's calm down. Um, yeah, right. how do you, no, how do you, yeah we, we're not like that. We stay in the back and prefer to go on, uh, unnoticed. Okay. Yeah. That's you, kind of our style, I guess. Right. Have you guys always kind of like collectively sort of, you know, been that or was there a time where, you know, because I mean, especially coming from a twin perspective, I'm sure, yeah that there's that idea like, okay, I got to have like my lane and like carve my own identity out from that. Um, you know, how did that process kind of go for you guys? Um, no, I, yeah, no, I mean, maybe like, uh, in a non-musical way, maybe a little bit, but, um, I mean, like right now I'm talking to you, like me and James have a business together and, uh, we've always kind of worked together in music and even afterwards, uh, that's what we do now. We work every day together. Um, so like, yeah, we were, we always were on the same page with just about everything. Um, and so no, there wasn't really a lot of that. Like we didn't, there wasn't, as far as the twin thing goes, uh, you know, I, we, you know, we, we weren't the type that would uh, wear the same clothes or something like that and try to really play it up or whatever, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. you know, we would try to, to go opposite of that, uh, I guess, but yeah, no, it, it, we were just, we always like, uh, just try to, uh, kind of just kind of fit in and just kind of stay unnoticed, I guess, to a certain extent, like, um, attention is not is something, uh, uh, either one of us really likes, um, too much. You know what I mean? Sure. You're right. Yeah. You, you're like, we enjoy doing what we're doing, but we, you don't, we don't have to have a bunch of people paying attention to <laughs> whatever it is that we're doing. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's usually for ourselves, you know, for the most part, yeah. like whatever we do. Sure. No, I understand. Um, and kind of on that same tip, like, did you, you know, as you guys start, were, you know, graduating high school and stuff like that, like, what was the sort of life path as it were, you know, like, did your, right. were you going to follow in your, your parents' footsteps? Like what, what, what was the idea? Um, it was, yeah, there was college was not something I ever thought about at all. Uh, and if I was going to go to college, it was, I was going to have to pay for it myself. Um, and I, I just, I wouldn't have known what I wanted to do. And so, the band started almost immediately after me and James graduated high school. Uh, and we met Jeff who had just graduated as well. We're all through the same age. Uh, and he, I guess <laughs> didn't have plans for college either. Um, and so we were just like, uh, you know, we had all this time working a little bit, but it was just like, okay, like let's actually try this now. Um, and yeah, so it was, uh, it was pretty much, I think we, we all were pretty much like, as soon as we get out of high school, um, it's just like, let's really try, uh, and to, to put a band together and like actually write songs and, you know, cause code seven is basically our first band. Like there was not really anything before code seven. Um, and it, I almost only band to be honest with you. Um, so yeah, it was pretty much like get, get high school out of the way for us. And then we'll try to, to put this thing together. And then Matt, you know, who's three years younger. So he's still got a lot left of uh, high school left, but, uh, you know, he was, he was into drums and we weren't, and they were, they, we had access to drums growing up. So he eventually learned how to play. Um, so that's just, it was like, well, let's just do it, uh, for all three of us. Uh, but yeah, uh, it was basically like, at least for me and James, it was like, let's get through this, this finish line of high school. And then just like, let's just do band stuff, you know? 
sure right it's like the uh, and so i guess your so your brother basically was was still in high school as you guys started to you know i guess play out and tour and stuff like that or had he yeah was he able to kind of graduate before you guys really started to hit the road pretty heavily yeah i mean like um yeah, the first the first record and division, I, we weren't doing. We it was a lot of like long weekends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, I don't think we did a full U.S. tour until like '99 or 2000. So and uh, so he was probably just finishing high school when we did that. Um, so when when this touring really kicked in, uh, yeah, I think everyone was definitely out. Got it. Got it. Um, and, and like you mentioned, you know, Code Seven is essentially your your first band. Like you guys didn't have, yeah. you know, those those f- first uh, attempts at. Well, I mean, I guess technically you could look at the evolution of Code Seven <laughs> being like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. like oh yeah, we didn't know what we were doing at the beginning, and we kind of knew a little bit more a couple of years in or whatever. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, it's kind of documented. If like every record is different, uh, and maybe <laughs> that is, you know, the growing up part is documented with our music uh which i i actually noticed that in quite a few other bands too where i feel like uh you know once you get into your 20s it's like it stays seems to stabilize a little bit more but um yeah for better or worse it's it's definitely you can see it's 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 there you know you can see what we were thinking uh as we were getting older yeah no well and it is you know i mean people can point at other bands where it's just like, I mean, a band like AFI is an example. It's like, you know, that's like literally their first band. And you can see the evolution of that where it's just like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, they were a terrible punk band to begin with and they get, you know, they got a little more polish on it or whatever. And so it's like, yeah, when you're able to do that, it's awesome because people can see the trajectory as opposed to like, you know, Oh yeah, I was in a bad punk band initially and we were called this, but then, you know, we broke up and now we're called this or whatever. It's like, right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. You're like, well, no, we're just called this one thing. We've just changed a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And maybe we should have changed the name. I don't know. Uh, but we didn't. Yeah. Um, Cause it, 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 the records are very different. For yeah. Sure. I'm sure you guys, did you guys have those discussions at one point, especially I'm sure once the, the rescue started to kind of come on your radar as far as being like a, you know, a, a real dramatic shift. Like, did you guys have that discussion of like, should we change our band name? Um, I, I'm sure it was mentioned. I think when, when, when Dave left the band, so we went down to one singer between mm-hmm. division and rescue. I know there was definitely thought about, we thought about it, but, um, I don't know. It didn't seem like that big of a deal. Um, but I, I don't think we knew what we were about to write either completely. Oh, that's true. Um, so, but yeah, so we just kind of went with it. Um, and we were already under contract with, uh, the music cartel. I think we had one record left with them. So, um, so we just, I don't know. We just, we just kept it. Yeah. You just stuck with it. Um, and something interesting that I find too, about, you know, the North Carolina scene in particular, and you know, you guys obviously contributing to that was the fact that, um, you know, there was, because that, that in the, you know, mid nineties, obviously the internet did not exist in the way that it does now. And, you know, that's essentially when you guys started to, you know, play out and play shows and stuff like that. Um, you know, did you, I guess, kind of notice, you know, fellow bands start to kind of pop up like that, not that really existed in the same sort of sonic template of what you guys were, but like, you know, did you kind of start to feel like a scene started to emerge once you guys started to play shows out or was it always kind of just like, well, we're whatever show we can play, like we'll do. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, um, no, there was. I feel like, uh, yeah, there was definitely. I feel like every town that we would go to in the in the early days, it was uh, there was definitely a scene. It, it may have been really small, but you know, it's like um, there was definitely uh, there was there always seemed to be a scene. It wasn't necessarily very big, and maybe it was just a house show. Uh, you know what I mean? A lot of VFW halls and house shows and stuff like that. But there was always. I felt like everything that we were playing was was related to the same scene, and we, everyone listened to the same music. I think, um, but it was you know, in those early days, like for every little city, it could be just you know twenty or thirty people. Uh, but you know, yeah, it was definitely. I felt like everything was. I mean, we obviously did some shows, like especially like in the New York area, where uh, you would play with more uh bands that were maybe not maybe like almost new metal or something especially in the 90s um but yeah it was seemed it seemed to be like you know it's the type of thing like uh uh oh you listen to blah blah well we we have to be friends you know because like nobody really knows about this band and if you know about them then we're probably a lot alike and you just kind of you know it's just well we're friends now that's just how it works um, totally, and, that, and, it, and it seems like uh, every city you went to, it was like that's who you were playing with, like people who knew about the same music that you were into. Um, yeah. yeah, no, no, for sure, that makes all, that makes total sense. Um, and something I, I know you mentioned, and you know, has been well documented, but um, is an interesting thought process where once you know you guys started to have label interests like you know from eric like you said but the idea of signing with a record label for you know six or seven records was so daunting and overwhelming for you guys that it was like well i don't know if we want to do this and um you know i I guess kind of walk me through like you said that you're not anticipating anybody paying attention to what you're doing and then all of a sudden some stuff starts to like pop off um you like you said you guys did feel overwhelmed by the um i guess the business aspect of the band um so like did you have these like really you know intense band meetings where you guys were kind of like talking about all this stuff or was it pretty i guess easy as far as like okay like you know we know we can't do this with earache like because of these reasons no i mean like no we we were ready to go with earache um for sure like uh and we had uh a lawyer in New York who was really, really good, good guy. And he was, he was working on it. Uh, cause we had, before our first record, we had a, a, a demo that we did ourselves as well. Um, and that ended up in Eric's uh, hands. Um, and next thing you know, like, you know, they're, they're calling, uh, they're send, send us videos. If you, you guys playing live, you know, just come, come up here and meet with us. Um, uh, which we did. Um, and, uh, you know, but we were huge fans of Eric, like, you know, our, you know, the carcass and tomb and all napalm death. Like we were listening to that, you know, just a few years beforehand. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah, we were, we were like, okay, but the six records was crazy, but that, I think that's what, one of the things that was throwing us off. Cause it started out smaller and then, uh, it, the number kept, seemed to get higher and, uh, it was just taken forever. And, and, the, and I mean, they're they're signing us on some of the, pretty much the first music we ever wrote, like not just as a band, but maybe there was one or two songs before that. But those songs in the first demo, that's the first stuff like any of us really ever wrote. And and that is about to get us a, a deal with Eric Records, which was kind of like, wait a second, like, I don't think this is how it's supposed to work. Half the band is in high school still. Um, and it was just 
it was overload. Um, and and you started to see a little bit of like a, a little bit of shadiness from earache, how they were trying to adjust contracts without saying anything. Um, according to our lawyer, anyway, obviously we didn't notice any of that stuff, but, um, so yeah, we were just like, you know what, forget about it. Um, and the guy that ran the ear, the U S part was starting a new label. Uh, and he was like, Oh, we'll just do a couple records and it'll be chill. Um, and we were like, well, that sounds like a better way to start. Um, and that's what we ended up doing, but we were, we were ready to go. I mean, we, I, I think it got to the point where we, it was like, okay, time to sign. And at the last second, something came up where they had changed something. It didn't say something about it or something. I don't remember exactly, but, um, and that's when we were like, you know what? We're not doing this. Just right. like, you, you know, <laughs> just cut it off. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, don't, we yeah. don't need this. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, it is, it, it, and that time too was very strange for bands that existed in, you know, the hardcore or hardcore adjacent scenes because it was like, well, you know, there, there were labels that obviously trafficked within releasing hardcore stuff. But then like, because you guys had this like additional weird element of, you know, like having melody in the, it's like, right. People definitely had larger visions for it's, I mean like another band, like vision of disorder, you know, where it's like a lot of people were like, Oh yeah, like this can be bigger than, you know, just the, the quote unquote hardcore scene or whatever. Oh yeah, Um, totally. And so, you know, you guys for sure fit into that idea of like, oh, this can be larger than just, you know, this whatever, you know, guys screaming at one another or whatever. Right. But we were, we were, we were so like, we were transitioning or had already transitioned out of the metal stuff like that kind of metal anyway, because it started to seem, uh, everyone seemed like they were doing the same thing and we were head first into hardcore and we were looking through the earache stuff. And the only thing that was like, like, that was like, well, we should do this is like coalesce had done a split with napalm death yep <laughs> on and that you know and that was the only thing we could look at and say well they kind of i guess they're kind of into it they did something with coalesce um that was the only thing that that was the that was actually the main thing that was like okay maybe you should do it because we we love coalesce um and honestly if that if that release wasn't even on eric i'm not sure we would have even considered it because uh, we were it, it seemed metal at that time seemed really stale to us and like dated and like uh it felt like we were everything was like back looking backwards too much um except for that coalesce release that was like okay well maybe it'll be all right yeah um, i'm <laughs> yeah. glad we didn't do it though but. yeah it, 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 yeah i mean it, it's tough to even like view what that would have looked like through the lens of like, yeah. you know, how that could have ping ponged your, I mean, most likely it would have just put you guys on tours that would have been really, really difficult for you guys, you yeah, know, totally. as, <laughs> as opposed to, you know, with the music cartel, like, even though it was a, you know, a random label for you guys to like work with, you had the relationship there. Um, and you know, it was clearly like the only thing that could, could be remotely attached to, the style of music that you guys were playing. Cause like every other release was obviously, you know, stoner rock. Um, yeah. And that's the thing, which is really weird because like we didn't like music cartel was, hadn't really formed yet when we, uh, I, I, I'm not sure if we were the first band to sign, but we were, we we're really close. So it was like the guy that runs, uh, uh Eric in the U S like, or the general manager for Eric or whatever, like he's starting a new label. So we assumed, you know, yeah, we knew he was the guy, I think he was the one that signed sleep to Eric, but you know, we assumed it would be kind of similar to like more of the heavier stuff. Uh, you know, so, uh, 
baseball fans. BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM's Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick an area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM sports account to get started. Then visit your promotions section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. There's nothing more exciting than going yard with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. But it was a brand new label. He was out on his own, but we really liked him a lot. Uh, so it was it was new for us, but it was new for him, which I think we were kind of we kind of liked. But you know, we kind of I know for me anyway, I assumed it was going to be you know a little closer to what Eric was doing. Um, and then I started seeing the releases come out. It's like, oh crap, we're on a Stoner Rock label. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally. I, I had I did not see that coming when we signed, which is fine. It's cool. Uh, he was way ahead of the curve on that, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, when we signed, we we had no idea that was the label that he was planning on building. Yeah, uh, it, it was just something new for him, and it was new for us, and it seemed like a baby step, and we were way more comfortable with that. In a world where everyone is confined to their homes society begins its largest bin watch to date in the hallowed library of hulu or perhaps on a shelf of dvds you haven't looked at in a decade is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions hi i'm zach braff and i'm donald Faison. in 2001 we starred in scrubs a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship as turk and jd we explored 
guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Special shout out to our boys and girls at Bridge Nine Records. I love the label so much. And, you know, we've been talking about Agnostic Front recently, and I've played some of their recent clips, and that is still awesome. You should go pre-order all the cool stuff they have over there. But there's a new band that you may not have heard of called Spiral Heads, and they're from the New York, Boston area. But check out this lineup. People from American Nightmare, MGMT, Doom Riders, and it has the whole sort of like damned buzzcock scenario. Like basically it sounds like SST Records should have released this in the 80s. This thing blew me away. I didn't have any idea what this was until Chris sent me the MP3 and I was like, oh my gosh, this this slays. So I want to play a little bit of it for you. Yes, there we go. That was Spiral Heads. How good is that, right? And it's also members of A-Team as well, for those of you that are, uh, you know, deep nerd hardcore heads like myself. But this 7-inch is only limited to 500 copies. You need to go to b9store.com. Check that out because it, 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 it'll probably be gone <laughs> by the time that you are like, okay, maybe, maybe next week, maybe next week. No, do it right now, okay? So just put down your, your podcast player, put down your phone, or not put down your phone, but maybe dive onto the website, okay? You can do multiple things at once. But Bridge Nine Records is uh, one of my favorite labels around, and they're consistently putting out incredible, incredible music, including the Spiral Head 7-inch. And they also have the new Beach Slang full-length offer pre-order that's coming out in January. I am so excited about that. So thank you very much, Bridge Nine. Visit b9store.com. Buy the Spiral Head 7-inch, pre-order the Agnostic Front stuff, pre-order the Beach Slang stuff while you're at it, okay? So do it all. Bridge Nine Records is the place to be. Now, here's the rest of the show. You know, because I'm going to presume, I mean, and this is just sort of anecdotally speaking from like the stories I heard about, um, you know, that label kind of existing, was that, um, you know, there was a... um, like you know budgets were solid like it was it was a basically a larger independent label that obviously had the sort of you know upstart uh, nature of being like oh yeah well this isn't a label that's existed for you know 10 years or whatever this is like brand new and we have some funding and stuff like that so like i guess did you guys feel supported from that perspective um i mean i mean the budgets compared to like a earache were not even remotely close uh, for what we would have gotten (laughs) okay but um yeah, but like he, you know, I think he had uh, Caroline Distribution um, when the label was getting going, and he had all the contacts, and uh, I think may maybe took a, a person or two from Eric. I'm not sure, but um, but yeah, we knew he had the distribution in place, which was the big thing, and we knew he had the know-how because he's already doing it for a, a really big uh, label already. So it just seemed like 
but it was a new for him to actually run the whole thing and start it from the ground up. But because he had the distribution in place and you know some expertise, it it seemed like a good a good fit for us. Sure, sure, makes sense. Um, and as you started to you know get out and and tour and obviously get some you know uh, momentum from that perspective, did you initially like touring? Was that something that you were um, attracted to right away, or did you have to kind of like learn to you know find aspects of it that you enjoyed? Um, no, no, we loved it um, for sure. Like um, you know, uh, being that young, you don't really care, and it and it to, it's it was our college. I, I feel like in a lot of ways. Um, where you just jump in the van and for the first time you have freedom, you know, cause everyone was still living at home with the parents when all this started. Um, you know, and that was our, like our getaway, you know, to learn a lot about life. We did it together in a van. Um, and it was amazing. Like I wouldn't trade it for the world. That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. It, it is the only reason I ask that is because you know, certain personalities are definitely, um, you know, more tailored for touring. And, yeah. you know, I mean, when you're younger, you don't care because just that sense of adventure can kind of, you know, last yeah. you for a little bit. But, you know, for some people, it's definitely like, oh, this wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. Oh, right. Yeah. Not, and not like the idea of like, oh, yeah, like I expected it to be on, you know, tour buses or whatever, because clearly that's not right. the case. But just the idea of like, Oh man, like it's pretty exhausting, you know, being around people twenty four seven or whatever, and just like have that sort of you know mental health component of it. Right. No. Um, I we were you know there's we we got along great. It, it definitely you know you could drive you could drive you crazy, I guess. But uh, we were the type of band that you know you, if there's a show ten hours away, but looks like it'll be good, but then that's all we got. Then we'll drive 10 hours, uh, to do it. And it, it always made sense. Even in a lot of times, most of the time, to be honest with you, we, we never really made any money, but, um, it was all going towards like, you know, this overall goal of trying to just let people hear the music. And it always seemed worth it. Uh, you know, a 10 hour drive to a show and then 10 hour drive back right after you get, get done playing. And we would totally do it. Um, as we got older, obviously, you know, in the later years of Code 7, for sure, um, that's when it, it got harder, not necessarily because of being with around each other a lot, but um, just like financially, it's like, oh, crap, I'm an adult now. Somewhere along the way, I turned into adult. I have responsibilities. Uh, kid is on the way. Uh, oh, crap, this is getting a lot harder to do. And, and, you know, that's those are the types of things where when it got hard, um, when the responsibility stuff started kicking in. Um, and, and that's, yeah, and that definitely pretty much wore the band down to, to be honest with you. So in that respect, but it wasn't, uh, if financially it was working out for us, we would have, we probably would have kept on going. Uh, it, it, you know what I mean? It wouldn't have been like, a it wouldn't have been like, we can't handle each other, maybe a little bit towards the end. Uh, but yeah, it was more, it's like, Oh, we're an adult now. We have these responsibilities and it's getting harder to do those things. Um, you know, for us, we make more money when we stay at home, not when we go on tour. Right. Um, uh, (laughs) you know what I mean? That's just how it always was for us. Totally. Um, Totally. Totally. But yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, like you, you guys, it's, it looked like, and you know, from my experience with you guys out on the road, it looks like you, uh, you obviously built your lives around the band where it's just like, okay, we, you know, come home, obviously like, you know, be either break even or make a little money, but not to the point of where obviously we'd be able to, you know, subsist on that for, you know, a couple months at a time. So it's like, you know, you, you worked, 
you know, transitionary jobs or whatever, or you had like, you know, work in bars or whatever. Um, but that was the, that was the hustle because you guys were like, well, yeah, we just want to still focus on the band because we're excited about these opportunities or whatever. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was our business, uh, for the most part. And, and we loved it and we were willing to do anything for it. And, you know, sleeping in a Walmart parking lot, it, it was what we, it was whatever, you know what I mean? Like, um, that's just, that was just part of it, you know? Um, and everybody in the band for the most part is, uh, has ended up doing, you know, kind of their own thing and, uh, in their own business. And I think all of us kind of had that, that mentality of like, this is, you know, this is our baby and we want to see it grow and we want to nurture it. Uh, and we thought about it 24 seven every day, uh, you know, for a decade. Um, and then when that went away, you know, all of us are kind of doing our own thing now. I think, and I think that's one of the reasons why we were able to, to, you know, maybe punish ourselves on some of those drives and some of those, uh, things, uh, because like, uh, you know, it was, it was, we saw it a little bit as a, like a business. We didn't necessarily treat it like a business cause we definitely weren't good with money or keeping up with stuff like that or, or anything. But, uh, it, yeah, it, it was something that we wanted to see grow and we were extremely passionate about. So yeah, we toughed it through a lot of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you guys, and I know this statement has been, um, you know, echoed back to you many times, but, uh, you guys were, in my opinion, <laughs> the definition, uh, of a band's band where, you know, you guys got a lot of tour opportunities, not only because you, people enjoyed being around you guys and you guys were, you know, what I like to call an easy hang where it's like, Oh yeah, could yeah. dude. Yeah. They're, they're all, they're all cool guys, man. Right. It's fun to hang out with. Uh, but on yeah. top of that bands loved watching you guys play every night because the music was either, um, you know, a departure from the usual package tours that existed or whatever. Right. Um, did you, uh, you know, like, did you guys, uh, like recognize that pretty quickly as, you know, tour offers like started to kind of come in or was that something that like you guys noticed kind of in retrospect after the band started to, you know, tour less and stuff like that? Um, no, no, we definitely knew, knew that that was kind of the case. Um, especially when the rescue, like that was, I feel like the rescue, uh, was the first record where, uh, people really started taking notice of us. Um, and, uh, cause it was, it was a pretty out there uh, from what we were doing, but we were still considered ourselves part of the, you know, the hardcore scene or whatever, but it was like, let's just take that and, you know, mix it with, you know, Brit pop and stuff that we were really into at the time. And, um, and yeah, and the weirdness of it or whatever, really a lot of bands were, were like really into it for sure. Um, yeah. And, and to be honest with you, that's one of the things to a certain extent that kind of made it hard. Cause we, I don't think we ever had a booking agent the entire time we existed. Uh, I don't think, but we were at, by the end, by the time we broke up, like we, we could have stayed out on the road every day of the whole year if we wanted to. Um, because it seemed like, I mean, we, we were turning down so many, so many tours. Like we, we were, we had gotten really burnt out at the very end. Uh, and I know the managers and labels were really not happy with us, but, uh, but we, but so we were getting these offers, um, and we were doing a lot of them, but financially they didn't pay all that well, but we were getting some great shows to play in front of a lot of people. Um, which is really cool. Um, so it was kind of like a catch 22 to where we could stay busy. Um, even without a, I don't, I I still don't think we ever had a booking. Maybe one time we did, but, uh, but we were staying busy nonstop, but we weren't, you know, we weren't making much money because we, you know, we weren't a huge draw or anything. So, um, 
so that we didn't, we didn't, we never paid all that much for some of those huge tours, but, um, but it was a great opportunity. So, you know, we did them. Um, so we were staying so busy, it was ridiculous, but we were making almost nothing and coming home with nothing. So, you know, it was like, we, we kind of, we didn't really know what to do with that. Um, it was a weird situation to be in, and especially at the end when it, things went to like, you know, the hot topic things and MTV and, and that whole scene kind of turned into something crazy. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was, the, the shows just, you know, were insanely big, some of them. And, um, but the crowds were extremely young, you know, the hot topic kids or whatever who her coming in on it with, uh, you know, what they see on TV or whatever. Uh, and we were way too weird. A lot of the tours uh, that we did, like we were like way too weird. Sure. We were the creep, creepy, creepy old dudes, I think for a lot of those little, <laughs> little kids. Sure. So we weren't, we were playing for a lot of people, but we weren't really selling a whole lot of merch or anything. Uh, but it was a lot of fun, but it was kind of a catch 22 because we, uh, we were staying busy, but we weren't making a lot of money. And that really, uh, was was wearing the band down yeah uh, as we were getting into adults and you know i've got a kid i started missing tours at the very end because i i now have a son and like uh it, this has taken up all my time which is great and but i'm not i'm not able to pay my bills at once i get home you know because the kids aren't buying the merch because we're this random weird band that they don't care about. You know? Yeah, sure. Sure. Well, I know. I think that's a really interesting thread to pull on because it's like, you know, most bands, um, you know, go around sort of, you know, really looking for those, you know, tour opportunities feeling like, you know, if they just got this one tour or two tours that their fortunes would switch around. And right. you guys, because you had all of these, you know, really interesting, cool dynamic opportunities where you're just like, Oh wow. Like we get to do this and wow, we get to do that. Um, yeah. like, like that was exciting. And so I could easily see that sort of like carrot scenario of like, Oh man, well maybe this next one will change it for us or whatever. Or right. like, and, but most bands don't even get to like, have that opportunity so you guys you know i'm sure you're having those conversations in your head where it's just like man like yeah we can stay busy for the next you know 12 months or whatever but like you know like is any of this going to change anything or whatever so i i yeah that's a weird scenario to be in and i could tell you for without a doubt for the most part it didn't and it was probably for us a waste of time uh, you know, even you, you know, 1500 people a night, I can tell you for us, for that crowd, especially at that time frame where it was, you know, the hot thing on MTV, like it was a complete waste of time probably for us. I don't think we gained hardly any new fans doing those shows, uh, for a lot of them anyway. And the ones that we turned down, I know we probably wouldn't have made any new fans on. Um, but uh, there were, there were a few though, uh, here and there that, that were kind of surprising for us. Um, and you know that we're like you didn't expect it to be good and it was amazing so i'm not saying all of them were bad or by any means right but it, you know when that whole thing started happening with that when everything kind of went out of the basements and the bfw halls and you know it, it, you know and it started to get big and you start playing at nicer clubs and real clubs um that's everything kind of got got a little weird um I, i'm glad i got to see it and experience it kind of get caught up a little bit in it uh, you know what i mean but yeah, it definitely wasn't um, those. We weren't writing music for those kids at all that were, you know, filling up those huge uh, venues. Yeah, for sure. No, totally get that. Um, it, it did. It did kind of feel like, you know, as you guys, you know, did the rescue and kind of finished your your business run with the music cartel. It, it felt like the move to Equal Vision was kind of the um, 
all right, like, and it's, and this is coming more so from sort of like the music industry band dude scenario where it's like, right. oh, oh, like I think Code Seven will have like that real shot now, like you know, right, they, have, yeah. they have a label that understands their identity, is able to kind of you know put them in front of people who you know reasonably should like the band and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I'm guessing that was kind of the the feel from you guys internally, where it's just like, okay, like you know this because I mean you know that record was. Um, you know, like the, there was a, a, a lot of uh, effort put into it even more so than maybe your previous stuff, just because you guys felt like you had that, um, I, I guess, platform to kind of share that on. Um, it, yeah. Am I, was I, am I reading too much into that or did you guys feel like that was like the, uh, uh, the larger platform that you could, you know, maybe change things with? Um, you know, I think, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Music cartel, you know, they ended up being a label that, like I really didn't know a whole lot of the bands that they were signing, you know what I mean? Like, and they did, they, they didn't have a, a big push for us. Most of everything that we, we did in touring, that was all us, you know what I mean? Um, and then uh, Bambino, uh, John Bambino and Jason Rudolph, we eventually started working with them uh, and they really helped us out a lot, especially at the on the rescue. Uh, and they were the ones that really, uh, you know, helped us start, doing more touring while still on the music cartel and whatnot. Um, but yeah, yeah. And after the rescue had finished up and we had teamed up with them for management, um, that's when, yeah, things got really crazy because we were done with our contract and those guys knew everybody. And next thing I know, like every major label is coming out to the shows, you know, you know, it's the hot topic error or whatever you want to call it. MTV gets into the scene. So there's every, every record label now is looking at, you know, um, this scene, you know, whatever. And we were one of the bands that they were looking really hard at every label. I mean, every freaking major label. I think there was one show at CBGB's where there was a, a representative from every major <laughs> label there to see us at one show. And were you, uh, not to interrupt your train of thought, but like, was that, um, I, I guess, were you guys nervous about those opportunities or was it just like all kind of exciting and new? Uh, yeah. Well, that particular show we blew it. It was one of the worst shows we ever played. <laughs> Um, which is, I guess Amazing. how it goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. totally, totally. Um, so yeah, I mean, and there was a lot, I don't remember what, there was like two of, two of the labels, the bigger labels, uh, that were like, uh, real, really interested, but nobody was really pulling the trigger. Um, they were kind of stringing us along. That's how it felt like. Um, and we were getting sick and tired of waiting around and we had kind of already done that once with Eric and we were, um, it felt like we were, uh, they were kind of stringing us along a little bit. So we just, we had uh, our, we told our lawyer just cancel everything, and which she didn't want to do. Uh, I don't think anybody wanted us to do. We was like, if it's a major label and you're talking to them, tell them no, thank you. Um, and and then I think I don't remember. Maybe our lawyer said, well, who do, who do you want? What, what do you want to do then? And the first label we blurted out was like, well, Equivision. Like we knew Dan. We've known Dan for forever, and we thought that they were uh, they were really out of all of the hardcore labels. I, they seemed very versatile, and we were liking some of the stuff that they were doing. Um, so it was like, well, Equal Vision, and she made a call, and like I feel like within a few days there was contracts getting drawn up, and we were on Equal Vision. That's that's it was really weird how that worked out. Yeah, um, that's so that, yeah, that's that, really cool. And, yeah, yeah, we told her like that was the label we really wanted to do, uh, and yeah, that's and that's what we ended up doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
and so you know as the the band started to you know kind of wind down because of obviously all of those pressures that you are talking about from that perspective of the you know real life and you know not being able to <laughs> like figure out like hey I, I need to be able to like make rent and everything like that right yeah um did you feel uh you, you know the I, I guess the void in the identity because you know you had been known for so long as like oh yeah like you know J- john from code seven like oh yeah yeah right. like that's you know that's who he is um right. did you feel that kind of like void uh within your life from that perspective of like okay now i'm not going to be on the road and now i'm not going to be you know creating music under this moniker and stuff like that or was it kind of a relief in certain respects yeah it was both it was it, it was it was it was definitely really hard to deal with um because there was always you know whether or not it, everything with code Sam was always going up there was never a spot where it was started to go backwards you know what i mean so and but to pull the rug out of that and which was like that was the only thing i had like i'd spent a decade uh right out of high school and just doing that every day uh every hour something in my head is thinking about code seven and to to pull that out uh uh, where that's the only thing you've concentrated on for for a decade, like that was yeah, that was really hard for sure. Because uh, like yeah, I'm not, I'm just like I have, I don't know what I'm going to do now. You know what I mean? I didn't go to college because I I wanted to jump in a van, um, and uh, it was like it, yeah, that was rough. But at the same time, it was huge weight. Uh, it was definitely it felt really good too. Uh, so it was both like because it really did feel like a a huge weight off your shoulders. I, I'm not sure why, but um yeah uh, it, definitely both sure yeah yeah it's like that that mixture of like it's you know it's scary it's exciting um because i can you know all of a sudden i have the not only the the physical space and time to be able to like do something else but then it you know frees you up mentally as well where it's like oh wow i can think about life in a different way yeah. rather than like oh geez, I got to leave for tour in another three weeks or something right. like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. When you know you, there's something on the horizon and there's always something on the horizon, like it, it, it you know, you, the things that you do in your everyday life, like, I feel like, you know, it's like, well, I would do this, but I've got this coming up. There's always this thing that's coming up. So yeah, maybe let's just, let's, you know, every decision you make in your everyday life, uh, is affected by those things because you know, well, this is all, there's always something that's coming up that you got to do. Uh, and, and to not have to, to do that was really, was awesome. I, I, it was a good feeling for sure. 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 Um, and so, I mean, you, you mentioned you have a 15 year old son and, you know, towards the end of the touring experience, like, you know, you were not participating, um, because obviously you wanted to be present in your son's life. Um, right. Yeah. You know, and so as stuff started to kind of like boomerang back around with with Code Seven, when you guys you know did the reunion show and you know you did the tour with Circa and stuff like that, um, were I guess were you, and maybe this is just more so specifically to you than obviously the rest of the band, were you scared that that thing was going to kind of like you know come back into your life in like a pretty real and substantial way, or was it always kind of measured like oh yeah we'll just do these two things and that's kind of it. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it, it actually almost did come back to life, uh, because of that, um, mm-hmm. with the, uh, we, when we went on the tour, things were going pretty good, you know, at the start of that tour, for sure. Everyone was feeling good, uh, about it, you know, and we always, we kind of went in, it's like, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, if things go good, we'll write a little bit and see what happens, you know what I, you know what I mean? But sure. Um, 
and I think we even stopped by Equal Vision on that tour. Uh, it, was, I, it was still pretty early on in the tour. And, you know, we talked to Dan and was like, yeah, I don't know. Because we, we're still, I guess, technically under uh, contract because we, we only did one record uh, with, with Equal Vision. We bolted. I don't even know how many records we signed with them. But uh, I know we were, Code 7, still technically under contract with them. And, and, and yeah, Dan was like, yeah, yeah if you guys are, are, are really wanting to do this, like, you know. So, you know, we knew there was an option. Uh, Equal Vision seemed like they were uh, into putting it out if we were wanting to do another record. Um, but by the time we finished the tour and it was over, we were like, oh, you know what? Let's let's just keep this in bed. You know, like uh, that's all it took was, uh, you know, a few more weeks on the road. And it was like, oh, yeah, now I remember why we broke up. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't need to do this right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't really want to get back into this mode. Right. Uh, right. But at the beginning of the tour, we were, we were, we were pretty into the idea. Um, and it, yeah, it definitely kind of came close, but yeah, by the end we were just like, eh, let's just, let's just leave it, leave it dead. Yeah, for sure. And I know that that, um, you know, like as people start to, uh, I guess kind of, you know, matriculate out of like the band that they, you know, were known for and stuff like that, and then, you know, do other projects. Cause I know you guys did telescreen there for a little bit as well. Um, you know, what, uh, I guess kind of keeps you sort of, um, you know, engaged in, uh, you know, I guess paying attention to, you know, this, this scene and this style of music and stuff like that. Um, is, is that something that you, um, it, that's just kind of like hard boiled in you or, you know, has your, um, you know, attention span kind of waned as you, you know, obviously have other obligations to kind of, you know, attend to and stuff like that. How has that relationship been, uh, you know, for you, obviously, since you haven't, you know, been active in it as far as the touring capacity. Right. Um, no, I still, uh, for sure, I keep up with it. I think uh, right after the band broke up, uh, I probably, I didn't for a while. And I feel like when the band was together, to be honest with you, like there was a lot of the new stuff that was happening that I, I wasn't even aware of. A lot of bands that were coming up that, because um, we were so into what Coast Evan was doing, like we weren't really paying attention to, to what what else was going on. You know what I mean? Um, and then after the band, I probably didn't. I wasn't... Uh, I the, the the scene in general, at least the parts where I feel like we ended up uh, touring with uh, that that uh, I I don't know what the word of the genre you would call it, but um, it, you know it wasn't something that we really listened to, and it seemed like a lot of it was going that way, uh, and we weren't really yeah you know you know what I mean. So like we didn't really keep up with that part of it at all, but like uh, you know. I, like I still, we still definitely keep up with the scene and, uh, it, it, but it, not the big stuff. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, I saw birds in row not too long ago and loved it. Like, you know, that, that's the type of stuff. It's like, that's, you know, that's why, you know, we got into this is, you know, uh, bands like that. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Um, uh, you know, I just saw neurosis a couple of weeks ago, took my son to see them. Um, uh, which I haven't seen them since like 1996 or something. I, I don't know why it took so long, but uh, I really wanted my son to see him because he's gotten really into a lot of the same music that I like. Uh, and he has shown me a lot of stuff like uh, uh, of music uh, that I didn't know about. Um, for sure, for sure. But yeah, totally keep up like uh, that, you know, that I, I consider, I think for, for most of us, but like that's, that scene and whatnot, like it, it's just, it's kind of like definitely kind of who we are. Like that's how I, how I see, uh, everything kind of revolves around like that ideology and whatnot. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Well, like I may not be active in it or go to as many shows. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's definitely part of the DNA for sure. Well, and it's exciting too, that you can uh, be influenced by, you know, like your son showing you stuff. And like, that's, uh, you know, that's pretty exciting to be like, Oh yes. Like here's another, uh, you know, collaborator. Like I can show him stuff and he can show me stuff. And oh, you know, yeah. I wasn't yeah. you, you, that you weren't expecting that at, at some point, but it's just like, that's cool that that exists. No, it's, it blows my mind. Like he's go, he, he's went through my whole catalog and he actually listens to it. Like if my dad had done that with me, you know, forget about it. You know, yeah, I would have went the opposite direction. Totally. You were like, I am not even participating in any of this. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, go away, dad. Yeah, exactly. Dude. I can't, I cannot like the music that my dad likes. That is so lame. <laughs> yeah, I know it totally. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I still can't figure that out. Um, but I don't, I don't tell him that totally. I just go with it and hope that, and I think he is going to stick with it. Like he, he's even getting into, he was more metal, uh, and progressive. He really liked, uh, you know the more progressive stuff but like he's been he he was like just the other day he's like have you heard the new counterpart song um uh, <laughs> so i was funny. like okay yeah okay all right <laughs> things are these are these are going good yeah totally it's a yeah <laughs> melodic hardcore is still alive it's beautiful i love it <laughs> totally totally um <laughs> uh, the last thing i would hit on was the um like you mentioned i mean as the band was dissolving um you know you and your brother you know, have done, have worked together, obviously when you were in the band and, you know, you and your brother, you know, have been doing, you know, a variety of different businesses since you guys have obviously, you know, ramped the band down and stuff like that. Um, I, I'm guessing that, you know, kind of evolving into a, you know, business aspect, uh, rather than just kind of the, you know, sort of creative component of what it takes to obviously put together a band. Um, you guys like, do you think there's any way that you can like work, uh, I guess separately from each other. Um, yeah. like, and I don't mean that in a like, Oh, oh like you guys are, you know, like because you're twins, you, right. you can't separate or whatever, but it, it just seems like you guys have such a good, um, well, to use a horrible business term, like synergy. <laughs> right. No. So we, we, ha- we have the, uh, uh, like, you know, this just, we want the same things, you know, you know what I mean? Whether it's in music or, or, you know, like I don't, you know, I don't want a boss, you know, he doesn't want a boss either. I, I know no one wants a boss, but like, you know, we're, we're willing to, to, you know, to try to find a way to not have to have one, you know, and we haven't had one in a, in probably a decade now, I guess. Um, you know, and we, we want the same things, uh, in, in the, in the business, I feel like, um, ha, you know, starting something and try to build and grow it, it in a very, it's very similar to a band. Um, I think, and, and we haven't been very active in writing music, uh, and I think a lot of it is because some of the satisfactions that we got out of music, I can still kind of get, or that we get in um, uh, in in trying to run a small business. Um, and Eric has a brewery, and he's about to open a second bar, you know. Uh, and Matt's been mastering, and all of us have kind of gone down our own path that I think we get similar. It's definitely not the same. It's probably not quite as good as being getting to really be creative with music, but like, I think it, it, it kind of keeps us, uh, somewhat satisfied, I guess. Uh, cause we haven't been very active since, uh, telescreen was kind of active, uh, but we, none of us have really done anything since then. Um, and maybe that's partly because of it. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the idea of, you know, building, you know, a business, no matter how large or small the ambitions are, it, you know, it can feel obviously very similar to doing 
what a you know the same sort of work and yeah. machinations of what a band is, and so yeah. I, I could easily see the um, why why that would be like well yeah like this this feels like this is my creative output now as opposed to you know getting up on stage and playing bass or whatever. Yeah, I mean totally, and, and we tried. I think all of us have tried to do the band stuff, and I and I'm totally hoping to. T- I say it every year. I say I'm going to get through <laughs> the holiday season, and this is going to be the year. Yeah, and then it doesn't happen. But um, the desire is it, there. <laughs> oh, it's so much. Like like I've there's so much creativity. I think that's being built up. Like I could do something pretty quick, but um, I I don't like the idea of. Uh, like uh and i tried it i did try it once uh with a band uh to where like oh every wednesday you get up for a couple hours after work and you know drink some beer and try to write some music and and i tried that and i just did not like that at all i you know i didn't i want to put everything into it you know what i mean like um the idea of just casually doing it and like you know like i want to i want to write something if i'm going to take the time to write music i want to and, and it's how Code 7, uh, how we thought as a band was like, let's push things farther. Let's really try to do something that's like going to be different and going to make people think a little bit and like really try. Like, and, you know, because just writing some songs is not that hard, but to write something that, I, that we're that I'm happy with anyway, it takes a lot of work. And I, I want to devote every second of every day for months uh, thinking about it, which is how we did back in the day. Um, and like that. I just don't have the time to do that right now. Um, so I think, so I, just, I really don't want to do it. If I can't do it the way that I want to do it, I really, I tried. I tried the whole Wednesday night practice and I, it, I, it just wasn't for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, in the same way that like bands that, um, you know, are able to like write over the internet and send riffs back and forth on Dropbox and like do that, right. like, you know, that can work for some people, but then other creative collaborations like that just won't work. And so, yeah, you, you know, you know, especially as you get older, it's like, you know yourself where it's like, oh yeah, this is how I know I can be successful in this. And like, yeah, it's just, you know, it's not the time of the place right now. So I completely yeah. understand where you're coming from. Yeah. I, I, I want if I'm going to do it, I really want to try, you know what I mean? I don't want to do it. Cause like I have this urge to get on stage, uh, you know, or, and get free beer. You know, I really want to like put my best foot forward. And if I can't do that, I'd rather not do it. You know what I mean? Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I think a lot of people maybe they don't feel that way, but I think for me, for James, I think as well. Um, yeah. Like it's it's really uh, it's a passion. We're extremely passionate about music and writing, it, and like the idea of not putting everything into it. Um, it, it yeah, I just don't really want to do that. I don't want to put it out, anything with my name on it that doesn't didn't have everything put into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh no, I totally get it. It. That is the definitive history as spoken by John Tuttle in his experience with Code 7. But it was also just really nice to get to know him a little bit more because, you know, like I said, played a few shows with him um, and his band. And, there, you know, sometimes these relationships develop very, very quickly. And then other people, it's like, cool, I get to know you and I hang out with you a little bit. But then, um, you know, no follow up after that. It's kind of honestly, it's kind of like how people in sort of the entertainment industry in Hollywood, um, you know, you do a movie with a person, you have a really intense experience and then you don't see him again for 10 years. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's kind of what it's like playing in bands, you know, really intense experiences and then you move right along. But, and that's not a bad or good thing. That's just, you know, that's the way that life is. But 
Next month, or next month, next week is the conclusion of our North Carolina month. And we have Johnny Smurdell, who is the uh, bassist from Beloved, and he also played in Advent. I just, I adore both of those bands, and I was really excited to have Johnny on the show because, uh, yeah, I, you know, we got to talk about a lot of stuff that uh, I was always curious about because, uh, you know, both particularly beloved they have such an interesting impact on uh you know sort of melodic hardcore and heavy music that uh, a lot of people just you know came and went really really quickly you know only one lp and one ep so that's what we got next week and uh, thank you as always to bridge nine and rockabilia for supporting the show and uh until then be safe everybody hi there i'm zach graff and i'm donald Faison. we're real life best friends but we met playing fake life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to rewatch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. High Five Casino Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. Hey there, all you lovely listeners. Let's dive into this latest release that is going to suck the life out of you in the best way possible. So listen up, because the Womanizer Next 3D Pleasure Air Stimulator, available from Pink Cherry, takes pleasure to a whole new dimension, literally. Imagine taking the speed and intensity of the original groundbreaking Pleasure Air technology combined with new Climax Control, so you can control even the depth of the airwaves. The 3D Pleasure Air technology offers a deeper, richer sensation that might just transport you to another universe of pleasure. The Womanizer Next 3D, available from Pink Cherry, is the only toy that allows you to take complete control of your orgasm journey with fully customizable speeds, intensities, and depths. Made from soft-touch silicone, a fully waterproof body, and smart silence technology, you can enjoy pleasure anywhere, anytime. So what are you waiting for? Ditch the dull and enjoy unparalleled pleasure from the Womanizer Next 3D, available from Pink Cherry. Visit PinkCherry.com and save an extra 20% off with code NEXT.